Welcome to the Talking Code Podcast. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Venkat Dinavahi. And we're having short interviews with experts that help you decode what developers are saying. If you're a first-time listener, make sure to go to TalkingCode.com and sign up for our mailing list. We send out links to new interviews along with exclusive content just for our subscribers. Today we're talking with Nabashar Iqbal, who is a number one product maker on Product Hunt uh, in terms of featured products about how it is that he whittles down features to build actually minimum viable products. So how's it going today, Mubs? It's going awesome. I'm happy to be here with you guys. We're happy to have you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I've been building software on the internet, I like to say since it was invented, but since I'm not Al Gore, I, I can't claim that. I've been doing it for about 20 years, though, so I, it's still pretty impressive, I think. I worked at startups and agencies, and, and I built you know, sort of software for all different kinds of things, from sporting websites to selling toilets on the internet, all sorts of things like that. And, and I've used a whole bunch of different software stacks and used all different languages and and stuff like that. So I like to say that I have a lot of experience. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know people buy toilets on the internet. Amazingly, it's actually a pretty huge industry. Uh, And those things aren't cheap either. I will say that too. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I've never personally bought a toilet. So I guess, you know, there's always just been one wherever it is that I've gone. So Yeah, Yeah. I'm usually fine with the one I already have. Yeah, it, it actually turned out that it was a lot of interior designers and things that actually used the website in the end. So it wasn't like sort of homeowners and things like that. It was more interior designers that were pitching stuff to their clients, and then they would just turn around and kind of order everything online instead. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as I said in the intro, you are the most featured maker on Product Hunt. What precisely does that mean? Maybe give a little background for uh, those listeners who, for whatever reason at this point, uh, <laughs> don't know what Product Hunt is. Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying Product Hunt is amazing. And especially for somebody like me who does like to make a lot of things, it's been a fantastic way to get exposure to the products that I've been working on. And so essentially, it's it's kind of a social networking site where people submit products that they find and then other people vote them up if they find them interesting or not. And so over the last eight months, I've had 16 different products featured, which is a pretty good trade of work, I think. And I'm currently number one, I have one more than uh, the sort of next person in line. And I also like to tell people I also have more than the founder of Product Hunt itself, which people find a little bit surprising. But yeah, essentially, I, um, you know, I kind of have a lot of ideas. And sometimes it takes me a few weeks. Sometimes it takes me a few hours uh, to kind of take an idea and kind of turn it into something that I can launch. And then having it featured on Product Hunt allows me to kind of see what other people think of it, about it and get feedback on it and then kind of help me iterate from there. So what do you think helped you become number one and have so many products featured on there? Well, one, I think the fact that I'm able to do almost everything when it comes to taking an idea and turning it into an application. I'm pretty good at web design. Primarily, I'm a developer, but I know enough about designing things where you know it doesn't look horrible. <laughs> but I think that really helps because it kind of just helps me move really fast. I don't have to go and wait for somebody else and kind of get their thoughts while I'm working on things. I, I like to kind of have a product to kind of be able to show people and then get their feedback about things I should update and stuff like that. I also think the fact that I don't need to sleep much helps. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, what do you mean by that? You don't need to sleep much. I typically get between three and four hours sleep a night. 
which gives me about a ha- an extra half work day <laughs> to kind of work on things. Wait, so how much do you work typically? Well, I typically do. So I do have a full-time job. So I work eight hours on, on that. And then I'll come home, spend some time with the family and the kids and stuff like that. And then typically I sit down at about 10 o'clock and kind of work on my side projects then. And I typically go to bed somewhere around three o'clock. Wow. Yep. <laughs> okay, so you're married with kids and a full-time job. Yep. And you ended up having the most featured products on Product Hunt. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure if you can feel the embarrassment emanating <laughs> off of Venkat and I right now, yeah. but it's it's pretty bad. I, yeah, I need to start sleeping less. <laughs> I couldn't resist, so I had to, like, calculate how much time that was every year, and it looks like, well, it's like 60 extra days. You get. I, I don't know. My, 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 take away, days. <laughs> my takeaway so far is that I need to get a full-time job and a couple kids. So. <laughs> Well, they, that kind of helps you get motivated too. I mean, having kids in the family is uh, fun as well. Right, absolutely. Okay, so what's interesting to me though, so you know, you're talking about being able to have all this time to devote to this, but yet we're not just talking about having the most products submitted to Product Hunt, right? I mean, like I could go and come up with a bunch of really crappy products and iterate quickly on them just the same, but you have them featured, which has a distinction to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And almost all of them have finished in like the top two or three rank. Actually, I have one number one ranking and a whole bunch of, you know, between two and five. So every day, there's probably about 30 or 40 products that get submitted a little bit less on the weekends. And then, as I said, people who visit the website who are, who are members, they vote the products up. So all of my products have had, you know, somewhere from, I think my lowest one was like 75 votes, but the highest was like, I think 750 on the day that it was first submitted. So I think there's terrible is a lot of validation there when a lot of people see the work and they think highly of it enough to actually upload it so it's not just about it existing on the internet and you know people finding it somehow it being submitted and people think highly of it enough to actually put it up okay so that makes sense so what i want to try and understand then is what you felt was important in these products that ended up making them get featured in the first place yeah i i mean i'll say that most of the products i've built i've built for myself or for like a friend that I'm working with, right? So we know the problem that we're trying to solve pretty well because when we're not trying to solve it for a doctor or a car mechanic or, you know, something like that. When So we're building tools and things that we want to use every day and, and we think, hopefully think that sort of other people will as well. But because we're building them for ourselves, it gives us a really good handle of what's important, what's not important. And so I think we're able to focus down on why would I use this every day? How would I use this every day? And then we kind of focus on kind of implementing that specifically. And then obviously, yeah, it has to look nice and has to be user-friendly and all that kind of stuff as well. Because, yeah, you can build a really good product. And if it looks crap, people, they may look at it and they may use it once or twice, but they're really not going to use it every day if they can find something else that has similar functionality but is a lot easier to use as well. Okay. So when you sit down to build one of these products or you know, you're specking it out, whatever it is that your process is, and I'd, I'd like to get into the process a little deeper later, but when you decide what features you're going to have, you know, what constitutes a minimum in your MVP, what is it that you do to ensure you know, not overbuilding? And we could use something that, you know, you build it as an, as an example. We talked about interview.io, for example. Can you explain that process to us? 
Sure. I think that's really important, right? I, I, even when I'm not building MVPs for myself, even when, when I'm doing client work, I think, I think you have to follow the same set of rules here, I think. And yeah, it's a little bit different when you're doing client work because ultimately it's up to the client in terms of what features they want in their product. But obviously in terms of like the schedule and stuff, it still has an impact in terms of trying to build as, as little as you can, as fast as you can. And for me, I mean, it comes down to, so when you're focusing on a particular feature, I think you have to think about how many of my potential users would use this feature and how often are they going to use that feature. And so with something like Interviewed, for example, when I first had the idea for Interview.io, and just to give you a little bit of info about Interviews, so Interview.io is a website you can go to to find podcast interviews with specific people which you're interested in. So most podcast sites out there will feature a podcast and they'll give you all the episodes inside of a podcast and you can kind of subscribe to a podcast and, and do it that way. Uh, the way they interviewed works is that you focus more on the people who are being interviewed. So, for example, if you went to, to interview.io and looked up me, you could find all the other podcasts that I had appeared on. So if I say something interesting here and you think you want to hear more about <laughs> stuff that I've been working on and, and kind of how I work, that it's a good way to kind of find more interviews that I have appeared on. And I think there's close to 500 people now that sort of interviewed has in its database. But when I first had the idea for interviewed, I thought it was going to be this very self-serve kind of thing where people would come to interview.io, they would sign up, and they would create like their own profile and they would submit specific episodes of the podcast that they had appeared on. But when I sat down and thought about that, you know, I was like, well, this is a new site. There's no traffic here. My potential users, are they really going to like sign up and take the time to enter all this information? You know, most people aren't on a lot of podcasts either. So, you know, would they come and sign up just to submit themselves once or maybe once every six months that they would appear on a podcast? Would they really take that time to sign up and submit podcasts themselves? So it's, you know, it's like how many of your users, you know, how many of them actually appear on your podcast versus how many just want to find more podcasts of kind of other people and then even those users how often are they actually going to use that functionality and it turned out that i didn't think it was going to be a lot right like i didn't think a lot of people would come and submit their own podcasts uh, and then even those that did would only be doing it once every few months and so when i sat down and thought about that i kind of like changed the approach there i was like well you know me or somebody who, who works on kind of interviewed we kind of went back to more of a CMS approach where it's up to the sort of admins to go and add the people and the episodes of the podcast and kind of make that association between a user and a podcast. And that actually made the system a lot easier to kind of work on as well because there's a lot less functionality I need to build. There's, there was less in terms of user sign-up and moderation and sort of all that kind of stuff. So it made everything a lot easier, I think. Right. And, you know, I, I'm guessing that probably you had a side effect of people reaching out wanting the, like their podcast to be listed, which is, I don't know, a little more human and interesting. Uh, you have relationship with those people as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, when it first launched and got featured on Product Done, I probably got about 150 emails from people who were on podcasts, people who run podcasts, who said, why aren't I on there? How do I get on there too? And and yeah, I mean, if I'd, if I'd had an automated way for them to do it, it, it probably would have been good too. But I probably wouldn't have got to market as soon either. Like, I mean, I, I launched it in January. Had I waited until I built all that other functionality, it, it may well have been, you know, closer to you know March time by the time I'd, I'd got all those features added in. So I, I you know, 
was much better to get to market earlier and then work on adding those features if I thought there was enough of a demand for it afterwards. Right, and our, our podcast wasn't around when it launched, but I definitely reached out to you. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is great. Please put yeah. Talking Code yeah, on there. our podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, ah. <coughs> uh. Stepping back a little bit, like when you first, say, had the idea for interview.io, I imagine you had a bunch of features that you wanted to build could you kind of talk about that process did you have a list of features and like someone in one bucket someone in another how did that go yeah i think when whenever you have an idea it's there's kind of always a list of the like every site needs these features like you know use a site you need to log in i forgot my password you know like a way to contact me there's you know there's there's those things that kind of every site needs and, and those you kind of just kind of start with and you kind of assume that at some point you're gonna have to work on those and then there's obviously like the feature specific for the, the specific app that you're working on those are the really interesting ones i think and yeah so there was a whole bunch of features things like well things like the like letting people add their own podcasts and letting people sign up and actually follow people so like for example now you can and, and this was a feature that wasn't available at launch, but you know, it was added after I launched it. But you you can now sign up and you can follow individuals. So you can say, I want to follow. So every time Mubs appears on a podcast, I want to get some way, you know, I, I, I just want to be told somehow that he was on a new podcast. That was actually one of the features where I, I actually, I think would have been nice to have at launch. But it was, again, it was one of those things where it's like, I can launch it now. Or I can wait and launch it <laughs> and then add that feature and then launch it as well. And then I actually ended up just launching without it because, again, it was, am I going to have enough content in the system where following people is going to make sense as well, right? Like, if I've only got 100 people in the system, does it actually make sense to be able to follow people? Because it's not going to be updated that much. And obviously, over time, that grew. Like I said, we're up to like 500 people now and close to... I think 1600 episodes now as well. So it makes a lot more sense now to having that feature. Uh, and I think that's the other thing that you kind of have to ask yourself is like, yes, that's a great feature, but does it make sense right now versus as the system scales, do you need that feature more at that point as well? So where did you draw the line? Because I'm sure there must have been some features that were kind of like on the fence between I want to add this now versus like I can do this later. Yeah, I think it was just like, I think it came down to like, I want to get this out in the hands of people because it was kind of a new way of listening to podcasts, right? Like normally you went, you, you subscribe to a podcast and you got every episode from that podcast. Whereas with this, it's like, well, I'm interested in this person. I want to know which podcast they've appeared in. It was something that I thought was interesting, but I wasn't really sure if, if anybody else would think it was a good idea. Because I, I think this happens with Tommy a lot. It's like, I kind of have an idea and I think, well, if this is a good idea, how come nobody else has implemented this? Because this isn't very hard to do, right? Like build a system there where you can say, well, this person appeared on this podcast. It, it's pretty simple. And so when I see this and I'm like, well, why hasn't somebody else built this already? There must be yeah, people. I'm not sure people want that information. So when I have ideas like that, I want to try and get them out into the market as fast as I can just to see if there is that interest or not. And so that's really where I try and draw the line. Right. It's like, when do I want to launch this thing? And if I add this feature, how far is going to push that launch out? And if I don't have this feature pre-launch, is that going to affect whether people value the idea or not? So I think that's kind of like the sort of line in terms of trying to figure out if it should go in pre-launch or kind of after launch. So what you're trying to test was whether they value the idea or not, which in your case was, do people want to see a person in all of their podcasts instead of just the podcast themselves? 
And if something didn't help that goal, then that was going to go in a later stage. Yeah, because yeah, the fact that you can follow somebody, for example, yes, it's nice to have, right? Like I can get an email whenever somebody I'm following is on a new episode, but that doesn't stop me from kind of validating the idea itself to say, well, just seeing a list of podcasts that a person was on still is still valuable enough just without those extra features. So th- this is really interesting that the takeaway that I'm getting right now is that it seems like we're digging for some very specific calculus that you're working under. And yet the math behind this seems very simple. It's the decision on whether or not to include a feature is about what the impact that feature is going to have. As you said, the number of people who are going to use it and how often they're going to end up using that feature. And then just combine that with like this combination of features, can I launch it? So it sounds extraordinarily simple from the outside, but of course in practice, it is very, very difficult, right? Yeah, and I think that's where it's a little easier for, for someone like myself is because I kind of have an, an innate sense of how long a feature will take to implement. Whereas I think a lot of other people who don't have all of the necessary skills to kind of implement things alone, they have to go and ask people like, you know, how long do you think it will take to add this feature or to add this new page? Because we need to figure out how it fits into the user flow and you know, how do people access this information? So it takes a lot more effort to go to all those people and then figure out, okay, this it's taken them time already to figure out how much time it will take to add that new feature. Whereas for me, I could just kind of sit down and because of my experience and my skill set, I can just kind of like, I can imagine it all in my head and say, okay, that's going to take me X amount of time. And then I think that makes it a lot easier for me just to kind of estimate all that kind of stuff. And then that allows me to kind of make those choices really quickly as well. Right. Although, you know, I know people who have equally good ability to estimate and yet end up saying like, I'm perfectly comfortable with you know, this taking nine or 10 or 11 months to get this thing out there. And that is me included. (laughs) You know, I will say I've been that person who has said, oh, well, it just needs this one other thing for it to be good enough. And I mean, what do you feel like is the reason behind that? Have you had that feeling previously? Or have you always just been, you know, obviously incredibly talented at pushing things out, you know, when they are good and ready to be pushed out? I think it's tough. I mean, I think there is a certain amount of fear of it, right? Like you're spending your spare time working on on something and you think it's really good and you think it looks really good, but you're kind of afraid of pushing it out. Like what if other people don't like it? What if other people don't think it's any good? And I, I think there is a lot of that. For me, I think it goes back to I'm building it for myself, right? Like this is, I mean, like even with even with something like Interviewed, I was building it primarily because that's how I wanted to listen to podcasts. So it's less about other people in, in terms of what they thought about. Yes, I'm, I'm still worried about what the, like, the world out there thinks of my creation. But I'm also thinking about, well, if it's out there and I can use it, it's going to save me time or it's going to add value to my life, right? So I try and think about things like that. Like if I launch this thing, will it make my life a little bit easier or can I find more entertainment or can I find you know, something like that? Is it, going to, is it going to impact my life well? And then I, I try and focus on that rather than thinking about what other people will think and what other people will say. Because I think ultimately, whatever you do, you could build the most perfect thing and there will still be some people who would find something to complain about (laughs) right and so i try not to worry about that too much and yes i'm but i'm a human and it does hurt sometimes when people say that's horrible why did you waste your time working on that (laughs) (laughs) right 
So you mentioned earlier that you do some client work, which, yep. you know, we, we share the same experience. We do a lot of client work building MVPs. And of course, we also work on our own side projects. Again, I can't emphasize enough, not nearly as many <laughs> as you have. <laughs> but <laughs> with a lot of these clients, uh, most of them are, you know, first time founders, often uh, very non technical or minimally technical people. And we have the issue of them having, you know, a lot of features, way more than they need to launch with. And, you know, we often will get the response that, you know, this feature is incredibly critical because of some abstract, unproven reason. How do you handle that when dealing uh, with clients, especially given the uh, massive amount of experience you have actually launching things without, you know, those uh, fluff or frill features? When it comes to clients, it's kind of all about the schedule, I think. Because I think when you work with clients, no is not a very good answer because it kind of like rears them up and they kind of like, they want to fight for a feature. So rather than saying no, it's more about saying not now. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think people get a little bit defensive, right? Like, especially, especially people who aren't technical, uh, but they understand the problem space that you're trying to build this app for. So they think they are subject matter experts, right? And, and, and when they hear the word no and, and what they think is an important feature, I think they get very defensive about their expertise almost. So I think if you try not to use the word no and try and use the word version 1.1 or, or, you know, or some subsequent release, I think puts people a little bit at kind of ease is that in that we're not saying this is a bad feature that we're not going to include. We think it's, it's, it's a valuable feature that your users will find helpful or useful, but we don't think we need this to test the idea, right? And, and that's, what, that's what the MVP is about, right? It's like getting it in the hands of users to test the idea. And if the users like the idea, they will ask for those features as well, and that will help you prioritize you know, which, which features you want to add next. So I think it's, it's, it's a matter of framing the sort of answer in a positive light in that it's, uh, all, all features have value. It's a matter of, of, of kind of how much and when you want to implement them. Hmm. Yeah, and a, a way to think about this might be about the now and not doing it versus later is, say, suppose you have features A, B, C, and D. If you implement features A and B and you launch, in the best case scenario, you'll just continue on with your plan and implement C and D. But in some cases, you might be off target, and then instead of C and D, you might have to implement X and Y. Yep, absolutely. And, and and that's been really valuable. I mean, even with something like interviewed, I hadn't really thought about what can I use this information for? Like I've got this list of podcasts and people and all, all kinds of things like that. And I thought in the back of my mind about, well, a nice feature would be embedding this information on somebody else's site. Right. Like I thought I thought long way down the road when I had a massive list of, of podcasts and episodes and people that I could implement like a JavaScript snippet that you could put on your site so that when business came to my own site, they could see all of the podcasts which they appeared on. But I thought, you know, that would come way down the road. Like people don't want that. Right. That was the number one requested feature once I launched. And so now I built a little JavaScript widget that you can come to the website, you can get. And if you're somebody who appears on a lot of podcasts, you can grab this uh, little MPEG code, put it on your own site. And now you have an automatically updating page that whenever you're on a podcast, and as long as I've updated on, on interviewed, it will now appear on your site as well. You know, it's uh, really interesting to me too. I've used interviewed in a way that, you know, I'm not sure, I'm sure you've thought of this use case, but, you know, for me as a podcaster, 
I actually go on there and use it as a ideas for people to find on the show, you know? So it's really interesting because you've got this whole list of people who are on other podcasts who I know have done great interviews in the past. Right. Now I can go on here and be like, Oh, this guy also speaks on this subject. And I don't know. I think it's interesting in a way that like, had I built this product myself, I might not have thought of that use case, um, you know, could have done something entirely different and edged out the people that really could have gotten value out of that. But you keeping it fairly light um, has allowed people to get value out of it in different ways. And you can get pulled in a direction rather than you, you know, pushing in some sort of direction before you know what people want. I think it all goes back to getting it to market as fast as you can, right? So because like you said, I mean, until... Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about that feature, actually, yeah, in terms of that, that specific use case. Turned out, yeah, I, the day I launched it, actually, I have a few other friends who run podcasts as well. And they were like, this is amazing. I can now schedule like way out into the future now because I know I've got this list of people that, that I can now reach out to to kind of have on the show because I know they talk about this particular way of using a particular tool or a, or a specific language or whatever it is that it happened to be. But no, I, I hadn't thought about that. And I was I was happy because it was like another, you know, having a happy, <laughs> having somebody else <laughs> use the website who's happy about having the information. I thought, this is awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was the end goal right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that, you know, these are things that I'm assuming you, you didn't anticipate when you first planned out the roadmap for how interviewed would look. Um, it wasn't until you launched it that you started, you know, getting these ideas. Yep. I mean, almost all products, you know, even when you think things like Twitter and things like that, like, you know, originally it was like a way to kind of SMS message people about what you were doing. And, you know, and if you look at it now, it's like it's nothing like how it started originally. And even something like Facebook, which was, you know, a way for college people to kind of, well, rate how they looked, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Completely changed from kind of where it started to. And that's just a matter of putting sort of an idea and as a starting point into the hands of users and trying to get as much feedback as you can on that. So when you have a product launched now, you actually have it in the hands of users, you're getting feedback on it. Is the calculus for deciding what features to build next the same as it was when you originally launched the product or how does that change now that it's out there uh, it's very similar because you have it in the hands of users like the the number of people that request the feature has kind of more of an impact right like when it's pre-launch it's all my estimations of how long it'll take and how much effort it is and you know that kind of thing when it gets into the hands of users you've got this new variable now of okay like 20 people have asked for this feature even if you think it might take a little longer or it's it's a slightly larger feature if 20 people are asking for it it kind of gives you that extra sort of push to kind of work on that feature. As the product owner, you still have to think about whether it makes sense in your roadmap, whether that's a direction you want to take the product in or not. But having that extra information, I think, really helps. So do you use quantitative data in addition to doing this qualitative customer development? Not really. Not yet, I should say. I mean, it's the, like the products and things that I built are small enough where I don't, I don't do any like A-B testing or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. You know, it's all basically based on my experience so i mean i try and keep things light and easy and you know, make it easy to pivot if i need to like just you know 
my code is is such that I can turn features on and off and you know try new features easily and if they don't work you know you just take their feature out <laughs> but it's still very high level you know I still I mean I do look at things like Google Analytics to see you know where people are and where they're coming from and kind of how they're finding these things and you know, and that's kind of also a good way, you know, just seeing what other people are saying about it, not necessarily users, but if there's a blog that covered your app, for example, you know, what did they say about its features and why it was useful or not as well. I mean, again, I mean, a lot, sort of a lot of those people are kind of experts in the industry as well. So hearing what they have to say about it, even if they're not a direct user of the app, um, I think is still important. So what kind of long-term success have you seen with your products and what's made a difference between the ones that are successful over time and the ones that kind of go to the wayside? It's funny because I haven't really focused too heavily on, uh, I mean, there's, there's kind of a few products that I've focused on that you, you, you can pay to use and, and, and the, that kind of thing. My focus primarily with my side projects is for, you know, well, it's, it's to have some fun, is to build things that I need and, and people that I kind of help build their products and they need. Uh, I try and build sites that kind of either the users will kind of help with updating or there's, you know, ways through APIs and, you know, sort of collecting information that, that they can update themselves effectively, which means I don't need to spend a lot of time on them once they're launched. They, they, they continue to kind of update themselves and people still find the information interesting and helpful Stuff like that, I think, is is something that can help things grow over time. Just because more people find the apps and more people use them, I think. I think the things that have tied out are just. I mean, I think I think that just really didn't have an audience, right? Like I built them for myself, and turned out not too many other people wanted that particular feature or that particular app. So, and and, and that's fine too. I mean, a lot of the things that I build as well, I, I'm using to kind of learn, right? So, for example, I wanted to learn a new JavaScript framework or I wanted to, I wanted to try out a new way of hosting a website. So I built a quick app. I used this new technology. I kind of evaluated it. I kind of saw how it worked so that when the client says, hey, we want to use this particular piece of technology or we want to host on it on this particular hosting provider, you know, I can say, oh, yeah, I've, I've already tried that and I know how that works. <laughs> So it's actually really instructive to hear the you know failures that you've had essentially. Um, I, I don't know if it's accurate to even use that word specifically, but you know what I mean by that is the products that nobody ultimately wanted right. because you've done it so quickly right. <laughs> and so prolifically that it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, you had some fun, you got to build this thing, and then found out that hey, you know, instead of you going out and raising uh, money to do it or you know, spending massive amounts of your life on this thing. Instead, you found out very quickly that it wasn't going to work. Yeah, and, and I find, I mean, I think that's part of the problem that a lot of people have, right? They've sunk six months into this one idea or, the, or even a year into this one idea. One, it makes them afraid to launch because once they launch it, that's when you know whether it will succeed or fail, right? Like if you haven't launched yet, then you can't fail, right? <laughs> right. But once you've launched it, then then you've got to, you know, you kind of put the stake in the ground and either it will succeed or not. But I think you're right. I mean, when you work on something for so long, you do invest so much of yourself into that thing. Whereas for somebody like me, I invested a couple of weeks into it. So if, if nobody else uses it, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's really important, and I think I'm of the view that 
let's launch it, get traction for it first. And then if I need to go raise money, because I think it's a really hot idea, that kind of opens up that door at, at that point, rather than trying to raise money first and then have that extra weight sort of on yourself while you're working on this thing. Right, absolutely. But I mean, then you don't get to get all the cool Aeron chairs and everything. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, I will say I've been working out of my house for about 11 years and I would not spend $1,000 on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> So on, on the other extreme of things, do you have a like particular example of an app that you've built in the past where it, you just built way too much, um, something that, you know, like really pains you to reflect on? Um, well, for my side projects, I can, I can honestly say no, right? Like <laughs> I focus on whittling them down so much that, and probably because I, I, I try and time box an idea. Like I think interviewed was like sort of in my last of apps that I've been working on was the longest one that took me to kind of launch. Uh, And that was not primarily from building the app. It was more like I spent probably about two weeks actually developing Interviewed itself. But then I spent another four weeks like collecting all the information about podcasts and people and all that, all that kind of stuff, because I wanted to launch it with a fairly sizable thing. So that was probably the longest one I did recently. I, I, I will give you an example of something where I was forced to add features to a product so probably uh, this is probably going back a few years now. I hadn't done too much iOS work. And so I thought, well, it'd be nice to write like an iOS app. Uh, I can put something into the app store, you know, just have another experience piece, right? Like just now and then that I can work on, I can work on Apple stuff. So I was trying to think about something that I could build really quickly. And yeah, because that's what I do. So I came up with this idea. I used to run, I still run uh, a website called episodelist.com, which is, I used to watch a lot of television. And so I was very interested in you know, what seasons there are with a, with a particular show and which episodes uh, are kind of in those seasons and all that kind of stuff. But I also found it a pain that when I would try and sit down to watch one of my favorite shows, that particular night it was a rerun or wasn't even on, right? Yeah, normally shows appear on a particular night and you sit down to kind of watch it and it's not on. <laughs> so I thought, well, it would be kind of cool to build an app that I could just pull up that would tell me what episodes were appearing tonight, but only if they were new. Like if it was a rerun, it wouldn't show. And if it, if, it, if, if it wasn't on that particular night, for whatever reason, it just wouldn't appear, right? So I figured that's very simple. It's just be a one-page kind of app that you just install. It, it, it used some APIs that I, I used through episode list and kind of expose this information. So I kind of hacked it up really quickly uh, and I submitted it to Apple because you, know, you kind of have to get approval. And then about a week later, they, they basically sent me an email back saying, we don't think this is a good fit for the Apple Store because it's too simple. <laughs> <laughs> is that Apple saying that? Am I hearing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was Apple. They sent me back. Basically, you submit your app to Apple. They install it onto you know iPhones or whatever, and they they actually interact with the app, and then they approve it or not. And and in, in this particular case, they decided it was too simple that you know showing TV information like that as a one page, like a one screen app was just too simple. Uh, and I had a very similar issue with Apple recently with building a weather app too, actually, which which is a whole other story. So yeah, so basically, I I kind of had to I had to figure out okay, what features can I add to make this less simple? So I went back and I, I added you could click on a specific episode, you could find out more about the show, you could see all the seasons and and all the episodes and and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, it was approved. So yeah, so basically, thanks to Apple, I had to go back and add more features because they said it was too simple. <laughs> oh my God, Apple. Please, if somebody from Apple is listening, 
stop the madness <laughs> right now. That's insane. I think you're literally the only person in the world that I've heard was like, I actually got forced to make more features <laughs> in my own app than I wanted to. Well, because I mean, I, I mean, like to me, the app was the primary purpose was like, I, I didn't need to look at next week's schedule or even, you know, it's Thursday. I need to look at Saturday's schedule. Like I want to know tonight is my favorite show on. And is it a rerun or not, right? Like, that was the feature that I wanted. And I thought it was a good feature, too. And yeah, like I said, it's like I had to go in and add a whole bunch of other stuff just so I could just not use those extra features, but just so I could have it in the app wow, store. That's... Let's see if you can release an update removing all the features. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm not sure if they check it quite as, as much when you uh, it's a small version increase. So, so maybe I can still Yeah, that exactly. In. Uh, bug fixes <laughs> and minor improvements. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. Well, thank you so much again for being on with us. It's been a really great conversation. Can you tell us where we can keep up with you online? Yeah. Uh, Twitter is the is best place. It's uh, Abashir Iqbal, which is my whole name. I'm pretty much that everywhere. So on Product Hunt and Twitter and Facebook and all those kind of other places. Uh, I also blog every once in a while. Uh, not so much. I probably should blog a lot more. But that's hubs.me uh, is the blog that I have. Okay, great. And I'll, I'll put links to all this in the show notes as well. You're, you're really lucky, by the way, that you can have your name as everything on the internet. <laughs> uh, very, very uh, fortunate that, I mean, I tell people and, and they're kind of surprised, but my name in my home country of Pakistan is about as common as John Smith is in England. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just lucky that I moved and, and over here, it's not quite as popular. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cursed with Josh Smith, which in, in the 80s too, Josh was even more popular than John. So right. there's no way that I can win. But I did get it on Twitter. So... Well, that's my other thing is that I'm usually very early to try new things. So um, I'm, I'm usually signed up way before uh, like the masses flood in. So I'm, I'm usually pretty early on that stuff as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just sign up for things just in the eventuality that things will happen. <laughs> yeah. I, if somebody can make me an app that just goes out and like creates Josh Smith on every app just in the <laughs> event that it blows up and I need to have an identity there, please do that. There's your next app. Helpful <laughs> <laughs> <Four> ideas. Great. <laughs> Give us first dibs on it, though, because, you know, I want my first name on everything. He's going to be done with it in three days, so I'm not. <laughs> It'll be featured on Product Hunt by the end of next week. <laughs> uh, I, it's funny. I, I always tell people I have, I've, I've had just about every idea uh, prior to it being, you know, launched elsewhere. Because I, I, I tell people I, I had this idea called Launch Feed. Back in, I don't know, 2006, I guess. And LaunchFeed was basically a place where you listed new launches that occurred. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds very familiar. Um, but it was, yeah, back in 2006. And it wasn't like the whole social people signing up and uploading things and, and stuff like that. that but, I mean, that's what makes Product Hunt awesome is like the people who hang out there and kind of give you feedback and stuff. Right. So it's it, you know it's it's a matter of timing and and it's that what's that one feature that's really going to make it stand out and stuff. So I think uh, they've done a fantastic job. But I was going to say that uh, I also had this idea way back when as well. It's called Me in One. It was a place where you could go sign up and you could basically uh, link all of your other profiles to it. So people would just go to this one page and it would automatically pull in your Twitter and sort of all the other places that you kind of occurred. So you didn't have to worry about what your what your username was on, on kind of all those other sites. You just went to this one page and it had all of your stuff on it. 
and then so people could find what you were on on kind of all those other social sites and stuff as well. So. Oh man, that doesn't sound like an AOL acquisition at all. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, Mubs. Well, thanks a lot again, and uh, I'll hope to catch up with you soon. Well, great. It was great chatting with you guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Talking Code podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure to sign up for our mailing list at talkingcode.com. If you liked this episode, please be sure to open up iTunes and leave us a review. And if you're dying for us to talk about something in particular, go to talkingcode.com slash ask and let us know. We read and respond to every listener question. So even if you just want a little advice, we're here to help.